Well, good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning. What a difference a week makes, correct? Uh, we are going to ask that you continue to bear with us through all of these things. I asked this morning, and I said, I don't mind to wear a mask, but it's okay if, if I take it off to preach, and I don't even care to step to the side to not spit on the pulpit or anything there or try to spread any germs, but it's awful hard to hear sometimes with them all. We appreciate those who have uh, led this morning with them all. We understand the, the need to be careful, uh, but what a difference a week makes sometimes, and uh, we will ask that you bear with us through all the changes and things that are going on uh, because there's been a lot of things that have been going on. We're glad that you're here this morning. We will not ask how many people brushed their teeth before they came this morning. Uh, I don't know if it was Bad Breath Sunday or Carl said we don't have to shave anymore, the men. Uh, Hannah said she only had to put half her makeup on as long as her eyes were good and we'd be all right. So uh, it's an adjustment. Things are a little different for all of us. Uh, but we're thankful that you're here and look forward to studying together and uh, please, as we've been asking, continue to remember the patience and grace that will be needed uh, for uh, today and for the coming months. I don't have to remind you of the care and concern that our shepherds show. Appreciate Gary's prayer very much and, and remembering them uh, because they have uh, been through a lot with this, as all of us have. I was talking with my mom earlier this week. She uh, is a teacher out in West Tennessee, and she was talking about, we were talking about the school systems and all the things that are going on, the uncertainty, and of course she was a little frustrated, as many people are, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what the, the school year is going to look like, and she was sort of lamenting the fact that, uh, as is the case in a lot of places in the United States right now, many people simply take to social media to voice their concerns and frustrations, and so surely the teachers are frustrated, and certainly the parents are as well. But she was talking about the fact that someone had commented on Facebook that, that the superintendent of the school system had been sitting around and doing nothing, you know, he just sitting around uh, doing nothing all this time. And, of course, her comment to me was, she said, I'm sure that man's not slept in months, you know, agonizing over this decision and what's going to happen only for their school district. We're not even considering uh, the rest of the state or the rest of our country. I feel that's sort of the statement that could be made about our elders and many elders. Uh, there's probably not a lot of sleep anyways sometimes with things that go on in the church, uh, but certainly not through all of this. And so we certainly want to try to con continue to remember uh, these men and the decisions that are being made. Let me ask you this morning as we begin, if you've ever been remembered for maybe one bad thing that you did, was there a time that maybe you made a mistake and then every time you would see somebody, that's all that they would bring up? Most of us live our lives in such a way that we might make mistakes, and we do from time to time, but then that is it. You know, we go through a lot of good times, and people may remember the bad thing, but we're not remembered solely for that. I try to think of some earthly examples. I'm a big sports fan. Many of you know that. And the one I kept coming back to was a man several years ago by the name of Steve Bartman. The world knows Steve Bartman only because he interrupted a baseball game. It was the Chicago Cubs baseball game and reached out and interfered with the ball. And it, the Cubs ended up losing that game. And most people don't know if he was married or if he had kids or what he did or anything. But we remember him for that one incident that he was involved in. Most of us don't want to be remembered that way. But unfortunately, that's sometimes what happens Perhaps the biggest one in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is simply the name Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Because if you say Thomas, that's exactly what everyone else says, is doubting Thomas. That's the way that we remember him. I was, I was interested in, in thinking about this lesson. You know, nobody thinks of Thomas and says, man, that guy was smart. Uh, that guy was athletic. Do you remember all that he used to do for all those people? No, we don't remember that about Thomas. 
Now, certainly, as we think about the fact that he is in the Bible and he's thousands of years removed from us, we don't know much else about him. But, but most folks don't say, oh, that Thomas, he was such a, such a good guy. They simply remember that he is called Doubting Thomas. Is that fair? I don't know. Certainly, he's not here to be able to speak for himself. But when we think about doubt and doubting Thomas, this morning we want to consider the idea from John chapter 20 and what takes place there in the story of Thomas of having faith over doubt. Now I hope that you'll consider both of those words, that's how we're going to begin, but faith over doubt. You're here this morning, no doubt, because you have an understanding of faith. I don't feel like we need to take time going through a definition of faith or trying to understand exactly what faith is. We'll reserve that for another time. But it would help us as we begin to understand exactly what we're talking about when we use the word doubt. We might define doubt sometimes as unbelief. But what I'm afraid that we do, and as you see this continuum or spectrum here on the screen, is oftentimes we take the word faith and we put it on one side and we say that if you don't have faith, you have doubt and you're on the other side. If you've been with us or certainly if you've been viewing online for the last month or so, we have really honed in on the fact that our country lives in a world of extremes. We live in a world of extremes today. If you're not one, you're the other. When it comes to the virus, mass, no mass, racism, or anything that we've discussed, we live in a world of extremes. And this is the way that we treat, oftentimes, faith and doubt. But I'd like for you to consider this morning that maybe this is a better picture. Maybe this is a better spectrum to consider. Yes, faith is still on one side, but on the other side would be unbelief, which would mean that doubt would be in the middle somewhere. And as we think about our lives and we think about having faith and not having doubt, it might help us to think about this type of idea. That yes, on one side there is faith and we should have faith and we need to be faithful, on the other side, though, is not doubt, but unbelief. Those who would say that they are unbelievers, infidels, even atheists would be on the other side. So doubt somewhere, uh, sometimes falls somewhere in between. I've got a quote, a definition I'd like to share with you this morning. And it begins this way. And this is what is in your outline if you have it in front of you. Doubt is not unbelief, but it is not faith either. And, of course, we have just demonstrated that because of the, the spectrum that we just put up there, the visual. If you're a visual learner like me, it helps to say it that way or, or see it that way. But, but maybe it's the idea that doubt is not unbelief, but it is not faith either. So we put it on that second spectrum. This is the quote, and let me give you the rest of it. Doubt is not unbelief, but it is not faith either. It wavers between faith and unbelief. Unable to make up its mind what it wants to be. It is like the hitchhiker who was thumbing a ride with his hand in one direction and thumbing a ride with his other hand in the other direction. He wasn't sure which way he wanted to go. This is by Kent Crockett. He wrote a book called The 911 Handbook. It's a spiritually related book. I don't know this man, but found this quote and found it to be very interesting as we consider faith and doubt. That maybe our doubt is uh, this wavering, if you will. And in fact, it's interesting because that is the exact language that the Bible uses. If you've got your Bible with you, look with me first in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verses 5 through 8. You may recall here that James is speaking of faith. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. 
and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the exact language that the Bible uses, that doubt is a wavering. It's like being tossed on the sea. I'm not a boater. I don't understand all the things that go along with having and owning and, and, and operating a boat, but I certainly understand the idea of the waves and being tossed to and fro, but we don't stop there. We go to Revelation chapter 3, another passage that's very familiar to us, Jesus speaking to the lukewarm church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 and going through verse 22. We won't take the time this morning to read that entire passage, but you remember the gist of it, don't you? I would rather that you would be hot or cold, but not lukewarm, not wavering, not doubting, if you will, not in between, not going between the two. But yes, Jesus even says that I would rather you be cold. We kind of scratch our heads. It doesn't quite make sense. He, surely he doesn't want us to be an unbeliever. Well, no, no, but he also doesn't want us to be in the middle either. And that's what doubt is. And that's what we want to consider as we think about doubt this morning. What I'd like for us to do is go back to James, or excuse me, Matthew, John. I'll get it right in a minute. John chapter 20. As we consider this entire passage that we talked about just a few moments ago, I think it will help us this morning to consider the settings that take place here in John chapter 20. There are three meetings, if you will, or three settings for our story. We focus very often on Thomas. But in that entire passage that was on the screen on the title slide there at the beginning, there are really three settings, if you will, that are considered here. The first one is Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, and we'll pause there, but this is the setting as we begin John chapter 20 and verse 19. It is what we might call Resurrection Sunday. And these apostles, these disciples are gathered together. Now we're going to come back and talk about what happens in just a moment. But that's one setting. The second setting that we're going to talk about is an unidentified time. It doesn't exactly tell us it might fall that same day or maybe that night. It could be the next day. We don't know for sure. But John chapter 20 and verses 24 and 25 give us another section of this story here. It says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, now, we don't know exactly when this takes place. Again, and we're going to look at the third in just a moment. And as you see, there's not a designation of it was later or this many hours or what exactly. But there is an unidentified time that then they begin to speak to Thomas and tell him these things. The third setting is one week later. Now, depending on the version, you may have a, a little bit of a different word or words there. But in John chapter 20 and verse 26, it says, And after eight days... His disciples were again inside, and this time, this third time, Thomas was with them. Now, you see eight days, but don't get confused. We, we don't have time in this lesson to talk about the calendar and the way things were sometimes worded. If you've ever studied that before, you know and understand that there's even sometimes 
a discussion to be had about the third day, right? We talk about the way that time was measured, and there's, there's articles and things, and we can talk about that at a different point. But, but from Jesus dying and, and then rising again on the third day, what that means, and it says after eight days, but we're talking about one week later that the disciples are again together, and Thomas is with them. Now, what's going to help us here is to consider that through these three settings, life oftentimes is a journey. Is it not? Our life is oftentimes like a journey for us. We are not just one thing. Uh, There's not just one word that describes us. As we've said for multiple Sundays, again now, two things can be true. You can be a happy person and, and you can have moments of sadness. And so one word doesn't just define us. We also don't just arrive at one place sometimes. We don't just have one belief and that's it. This is a perfect example as we think about the coronavirus and all the things that have been going on. Maybe you were really, really concerned, and and then maybe you took a step back, and maybe you were a little less concerned, and then maybe you're a little more concerned, because we continue to hear and read all kinds of information, and we're not sure exactly. So it's a journey sometimes as we come to information. So when we get to the part that everybody knows, that Thomas, in verse number 25, says, I will not believe. And it's almost like a sign appeared over his head, doubting Thomas. That's the way he's going to forever be remembered in verse number 25. But when we get to that part that everybody knows, there's a journey before it. It's going to help us in context to consider those first few verses that we've already mentioned. As we read, it consists of these three times and places. But now for just a moment, let's consider what takes place during these three times. And what I did and asked Faith to do was to simply leave you uh, some blank space there that you can fill in. I don't know if you can see on the right-hand side of the screen, it says Thomas the twin. Uh, I'm having trouble even seeing it on the back because of the yellow there. But let's talk about these two settings or these two uh, situations that occur. Number one, Thomas is uncertain. We know that. Uh, But it was also possible that this was not his character. Is that possible? That even though we call him Doubting Thomas, this was not his character? Notice in your Bible, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in verse number 16. We call him Doubting Thomas, but in John chapter 11 in verse number 16, at the death of Lazarus, as this is taking place here, verse 14, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. This is before Lazarus is going to be raised. And in verse 16, notice, then Thomas, who, is this the same Thomas? Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with, capital H, him, with Jesus. Thomas says we're ready to go. We're ready to die. Is this the same guy that's doubting later? It is. Was he the powerful guy who would say like Peter, let's go die with him? Or is he the one who would say, I will not believe? Well, certainly here Thomas is uncertain, but it's possibly not his character. What a hurt feeling that they have. Remember, we consider the context. context. Remember the hurt feeling that they were going through. A deep grief that they had just lost their leader. Again, back in John chapter 20, Jesus is dead. And they're mourning that on Resurrection Sunday and in that next week. Their hope had been taken away. 
Now, I have a serious question that I, I won't put a lot of stock in, but how many of you remember the last sermon that was preached here before the pandemic? You have to show your hands. It's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. I understand. It was a trick question, okay? That was a long time ago. I understand. Uh, I had to kind of even look back to be sure sometimes at my list that I keep at home. So you're not, you know, we're not going to kick you out if you don't remember the last sermon pre-pandemic. But if you can think back that far, we were studying the book of Luke because of the Bible Bowl for last leaders. And on that last Sunday night, we had services on Sunday night, we had services on Wednesday night, and then we started canceling. On that last Sunday night, we had another one of our Lost in the Credits lesson, and we talked about the road to Emmaus. Now, maybe there's a little uh, jogging of your brain there, and you might remember that. But we talked in that lesson about the fact that at the end of Luke, those two guys who are on the road to Emmaus are grieving. They are hurt because they have just lost their friend and mentor and leader. So when we think about what Thomas was going through, remember that he is uncertain, but this, these are his, his emotions. He's grieving. So uncertainty might be a part of that. Number two, he wanted proof. We know that. But I ask you again, how would you feel? How would you feel if you had just lost your friend and mentor? And not just lost him, but you yourself had witnessed the suffering and the brutality. You yourself had just watched him hang on the cross. How would you feel when your friends then tell you that they have seen him again? Would you believe your friends? If you were the last and you weren't the one and everybody else is saying, we saw it, might you think they're trying to play a trick on you? It's certainly possible. But not only did he want proof, but he got proof. We know that from the story here. Jesus appears and Thomas gets his proof. And we're going to again come back to that when we make application here in just a few moments. But after he got proof, then he believed. Now, that's not that bad, is it? Isn't that what we want sometimes in our life? We simply want proof. And once we get it, then we will believe something. But if you're still there in John chapter 20, I think it behooves us to think for just a moment about the disciples. Go back to beginning in verse number 19 when the disciples are first gathered together. And notice what takes place in verse number 19. I would think they're uncertain. Again, they have just lost their mentor. They are gathered together grieving. It's like a funeral. They have just witnessed him days before be crucified and hung on the cross. Also, they wanted proof. You can probably see where we're going here with the rest of our points. But the fact that they wanted proof, I would believe is not explicitly stated here, but it's probably very possibly true. You think about the women who first went and witnessed the empty tomb. They come back and they're going to say these things. But if you are human, and these men were, would you not want somebody to show you a, a shred of proof maybe? And so it's very possible, while it's not explicitly stated here in the text, but that they wanted proof. And what do they get there in John chapter 20? They get it. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point here. They got it. Thomas doesn't get the chance at first, but they got the proof because of what they're able to witness there in the first few verses where we began a few moments ago, verses 19 and following. And what do they do? They believed. Pretty odd parallel here, is there not, between what Thomas went through, who gets a lot of the attention, but a lot of the negative attention, and the disciples. And verse number 20, it says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Isn't it a little ironic 
The disciples are probably having the exact same feelings, going through the exact same emotions, struggling with the same thoughts as Thomas was, yet Thomas gets all the blame, so to speak. So what can we do? What does this mean for us? As we consider our faith and our doubt or our unbelief, trying to overcome unbelief, let's make some application. Four lessons here and the sermon will be yours. Number one, don't quit. Don't quit. If you doubt, don't give up. Think about what happens there in the passages that we read about Thomas. Thomas came back. The second setting was an unidentified time. We don't get the exact date, whether that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever it was from Resurrection Sunday to the next week, the next Sunday. But at some point when they have that moment, they tell Thomas, we have witnessed him. Thomas says, I will not believe, but he comes back. If you're having doubts, don't quit. He didn't walk away after missing the first time. If you've got your Bible, think about Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is a long list of those who will not give up, who do not quit by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse number 7, by faith Noah. Notice what it says about Noah. Being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. What's that say though? Being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Many folks believe it had never rained. What Lord, you want me to build a boat? What? We've, something we've never even experienced? Doubt? Noah possibly had it. But yet by faith, Noah prepares an ark for the saving of his household. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out how? Not knowing where he was going. Doubt? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go, Lord? I don't even understand what's happening. By faith, going out. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when when she was past the age it's not possible lord i'm too old i cannot have kids but yet here she is by faith don't quit don't quit when you go through these times galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9 says and let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. You're going to want to slip towards doubt and unbelief, but keep the faith, for we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't quit. Don't quit. It can be okay to doubt and question, but we can't stay there. It can be okay to doubt and question, but it's not okay to give up. We sometimes get in these extremes and we struggle and we think it's the end of the road. Don't quit. If you're battling doubt, if you're battling going so far as even to unbelief, do not quit. Number two, seek answers. Seek answers. You remember in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched and examined the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What are these people doing? They're looking for answers. What was Thomas doing? 
He wanted the answers. He said, I will not believe, but he came back. Why did he come back? I think because he wanted the answers. He wanted the answer. Nobody was guaranteed that the Lord was going to appear a second time there in John chapter 20, but he did. He sought the answers. He didn't quit, and he was able to find his answer and find his faith again. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. Beloved, the Bible says, John writes by inspiration, Beloved, do not believe. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 21, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. What is the message of the Bible? Don't just take it because Joel says it. Don't just take it even because our elders say it. Take it because God says it. Seek the answers and seek them in his word. Continue to test the things that you hear. By the way, here's your little uh, pandemic information. One of the struggles that I've heard preachers say is, is, hey, there's lots of good things you can watch on the internet now, right? There's all kinds of people who are putting out information. There's a lot of people who are putting out false information as well. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to encourage someone with that, but I would encourage you to do that. If someone sends you something, maybe check it out, watch it. We have to be careful because we have to test all things, test every spirit. We have to seek answers. We're thankful that Thomas was willing to do that. He gave us an example, and we can follow that when we struggle with our doubt. Number three, realize that Jesus understands. Remember there in John chapter 20, as we look at that particular passage, when Jesus appears, when he shows up there that second time, in verse number 26, what does it say? He says in verse number 27, Then he said to Thomas. And verse number 29, Jesus said to him. The Lord specifically addresses Thomas. Jesus knows our doubts. Jesus knows our doubts. I was reminded of the song, My Jesus knows when I am lonely. He knows each pain. He sees each tear. He understands each lonely heartache. He understands because He cares. The Bible says it, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. My Jesus knows just what I need. He knows. He understands. I find it interesting that it says he addresses Thomas. He knew what he was after. He knew who he was seeking. He knew who had the questions. I think it helps us sometimes to know that Jesus understands. God doesn't expect perfection, although we should certainly be striving to obtain that. We should continue to try to do the right thing every time, but God knows we're going to mess up. He instituted his second law of pardon. We can repent of our sins once we're baptized for the remission of our sins. We can repent and pray for forgiveness, and he'll forgive us. We can walk in the light as he is in the light. He made a way, made it possible. Jesus knows. And I think it helps us to, uh, to realize that he understands. And then number four, turn to Christ. He's the only one that provides peace. Notice what the passage says there. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. The first time that he appears to the disciples, what does he say? Peace be with you. What does he say in verse number 21 as he's about to uh, depart then? Peace to you. What does he say when he shows up the second time in verse number 26? Peace 
to you. He is where true faith and true peace are found. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has given us, who has supplied to us and blessed us with all or every spiritual blessings. With what? Spiritual blessings. With, with how many? All. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. That's where they are found. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. True faith, true peace, true happiness are all in Christ. And we have, when we have doubts, when we struggle with unbelief, and we want to have faith, He's the only source we can turn to. We can't put our hope in men. If you're putting your, your hope in me or in our elders, we'll all tell you, you'll be disappointed because we're human. We're only people. If you're putting our faith in our government, if you're putting your faith in mankind, you're going to constantly be disappointed because we're all human. If we want to have faith, the only place to go to is to Christ. He provides that true peace. And for us, as we think about our lives, we won't see Him like Thomas was able to. So when we believe, when we have faith, we will be blessed or happy. One final passage here, if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1 verses 6 through 9. Peter writes and says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. We might even interject there and a little bit of a paraphrase. Though you doubt, though you struggle with unbelief, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have struggled with doubt, been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here it is, the story of Thomas, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, which is what? Why should we have faith? Why do we struggle with it? And when we struggle with it, why should we come back to our faith? The end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. That's where salvation is found, in having faith and remaining true to that faith and to him through the trials, through the various struggles. What is the end of your faith? The salvation of your soul. And then we will be able to say, just as Thomas did, doubting Thomas was able to say, my Lord and my God. We will be able to say that when we move past the doubt, when we seek the answers, when we turn to Christ, when we don't quit, we can have that faith and make that statement, my Lord and my God. The question this morning is, is he? Is he your Lord and your God? How would you answer that question at this moment? If you're here in our audience this morning, we're thankful that you are. And we will be extending the Lord's invitation here. About to sing this song that's been selected. That through its words, we might encourage you to make a change. If he is not your Lord and your God. If you struggle with doubt or unbelief. We would gladly study with you. We would gladly encourage you even this day to become a Christian. To be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're watching online or viewing this lesson at another point, we would gladly study with you as well if you would let us know. Maybe you're here and like most Christians, you don't stay at faith. 
you move over towards the doubt, and even sometimes maybe closer to the unbelief. We're thankful that God has made a way. We're thankful that in Christ all spiritual blessings are found, and maybe you need to come back to Him. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. If you need to make a change, come now as we stand together and as we sing.